0: Premier Christian Newscast. Abuse scandals, famous deaths, a lot of reports, and a lot of arguing about same sex relationships, too. 2023 was a busy year for church news and 2024 is already shaping up to be more of the same. But before the last 12 months is entirely swamped by what's already kicking off this year, let's take a brief look back at some of the most consequential stories from 2023 and think about how they may develop over the coming year. I'm Tim White and this is the Premier Christian Newscast. This week I'm joined by Emma Fowle and Sam Hales from Premier Christianity magazine to review 2023 in church news, discuss which stories left an impact and why, and consider how they may continue to unfold over 2024. Well thanks for joining us Sam and Emma. Um, uh, I wanted to come to Sam first to say what stories kind of jumped out when you're looking back over the last 12 months which ones have stuck in your memory which ones seem particularly interesting or, or important to you?
1: I think one of the biggest for me last year was the Asprey revival or the Asprey mm. outpouring. Uh, this was February and um really kind of came out of nowhere. We heard reports that students had, had gathered in this tiny town of Wilmore, Kentucky for a normal chapel service. And it's always a, a slightly difficult one for us to get our heads around in the UK because this is a, a Christian university. And of course, we have Bible colleges in this country. We don't quite have Christian universities in the same way. But but the point is, this was a, a normal Christian university chapel service. And what was unexpected was this chapel service went on and on and turned into really almost 24-7 prayer and worship for, for weeks, even to the point of people flying in from the UK and other countries to witness this revival slash outpouring. Um, it's been called Generation Z's first revival, this idea that a lot of young people, um, particularly, I think, struggling with, with emotional, mental uh, problems, were experiencing a level of, of healing, experiencing God in a very profound and quite tangible way. Uh, reports of people giving their life to God, reports of an amazing sense of God's holiness in the room as people worshipped, and similar to past revivals in that it it attracts worldwide attention. But of course, what was different was this is happening on TikTok and Instagram, perhaps for the first time, Uh, but nevertheless led to some fairly prominent people in the UK flying over to see what was going on. And and I know from speaking to a couple of church leaders, um, especially in the London area, that, that really... You know, UK leaders have had their lives transformed and have had their churches transformed as a result of going out to this tiny little place called Wilmore, Kentucky and seeing God move.
0: I mean, I was speaking to someone who was just telling me about how they've got some some churches, maybe the similar ones in London, kind of charismatic evangelical churches have been so inspired by this that they're basically trying to kind of cultivate something similar in their own communities and having these kind of you know multi-day long worship events and and trying and you know collaborating and trying to kind of see an outpouring of the spirit something similar here in the UK so it will be fascinating I think to see over the coming months whether anything like that breaks out Emma what, what did you make of Asbury did it feel significant to you?
2: Yeah, I think it really did. I mean, it's been a long time, I think, since we've heard reports of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit of that scale. And I, I think, for me, what was significant about it was, like Sam was saying, the, the 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 influence and the predominance of Gen Z and millennials within that. And I think that sort of has come at a very pertinent and particular time for the church, both in the States and in the UK, when we are grappling with You know, more than ever before, problems around church scandals, leadership failures, platforming, the celebrity culture, all those kinds of things. And then suddenly out of that comes this beautiful revival that's really headed by no one of any importance. And it's just a load of young people and inexperienced worship leaders on stage and lots of church leaders talking about how we kind of learn from that and how we create environments that are less about the platform and the quality of production and the lighting and the smokes machines and all that kind of stuff and how we genuinely sort of and lean into what seems to be a hunger for something very authentic of God um, in young people. And that ties into lots and lots of data that, that people are still, you know, talking about, you know, these the, the census that came out last year that said, although church attendance is falling, there is this growing group of nuns, this, these people who have um, no particular uh, religious or affiliation but that consider themselves spiritual. So we know that spiritual hunger is out there and that ties in for me with what happened in Asbury. It was it was authentic. It was not led by a person. It was not, you know, anything that ties in with some of what we would we would perhaps think would be the markers of a big revival. Um, and so yeah, I'm I'm really hopeful that there is something for the church to learn from that that will see increased engagement um, among young people in twenty twenty four and beyond. Mm.
0: I think it's absolutely astonishing that we're now, you know, nine months, almost twelve months on from Asbury, and yet still I couldn't name a single person who's become a kind of Christian leader or or famous. None of the worst leaders, none of the the chapels of the of the of the university. Like it's been a completely anonymous movement for something that, as you say, has been so significant and has had such ripples across the world it's it's astonishing and encouraging to me that as you say that they they have managed to maintain that kind of no celebrity posture that kind of you know that leaderless idea that actually this is god taking center stage not any individual or any church network or or anything like that and i speak as someone who has a a degree of skepticism or cynicism around some of these big ecstatic moments in church history I think this is an astonishing sign of maturity from the students these kind of 21 year olds kind of curating it that they were able to hold the course and say no to all of the big church names who were desperate to kind of get a slice of the of the action and say no we want to keep this grassroots and organic and and spirit-led and and they succeeded, and I think that's, that's there was, a really encouraging. There was that opinion.
1: brilliant yeah. story, wasn't there, of, uh, and, you know, I can't verify this 100%, but I did hear that a big-name worship leader rung up and said, hey, can I come down and lead worship? And he was told, no, we, we don't need you. but Thank you for the offer, we're okay. And he says, well, who who have you got leading the worship? And the reply was, <laughs> the students, thank you very much. Um, and, and, you know, stories like that, they do encourage you, don't you? Because, as you say, Tim, all the other revivals I can think of have these big names attached to them. And one wonders... Perhaps this was something that that God was doing quite deliberately and then not being any big names. But I think one also, as you say, has to give credit to the the students and those around them for stewarding this in a way that didn't let any big names in to take over and and led to this wonderful, anonymous way of leading it. That I do think is much healthier for the church, especially because, sadly, we have seen scandal after scandal of the big names. One has to wonder, is this a a better way of doing it, of not putting anyone's name up in lights?
2: Yeah, and interestingly, in in the months after when we were sort of talking to church leaders and getting people to write for us and all those kinds of things, one of the things that um, Pete Hughes at KXC Church in London said to me that, that really struck me was how impressed he was by the staff and the older generation at Asbury in basically sort of taking up the behind the scenes slack he said there was good stewarding there from from the from the chaplains, from the the staff, from the principal of the college, all the older generation. They were very, very there and very very involved. But what they were involved in was not leading and not facilitating, sort of in that upfront way, which they completely entrusted to the young people. But what they were doing behind the scenes was supporting them and praying for them and stewarding them and guarding that space and protecting that space for them in order that they could do that. And yeah, like you were saying, Sam, I think that very much for me is a a sort of a light bulb of like, oh, is this the way we could do church leadership better? Is this how we do it? Actually the people that do have the skills and the experience and the life and the wisdom and the years of leadership can still be involved and very much do have a role, but it needs to be much more backseat. It needs to be much more about those famous faces on the stage and, and much more about releasing the younger generation who aren't so well known to do that while supporting them with wisdom and, you know, with prayer and, and with mentoring and, you know, all that kind of stuff, which I think is really um, encouraging and exciting to think about how we do that better.
0: And it takes real humility. I mean, I spoke to an older guy who, who in the States um, who went to j- kind of join asbury revival as it were uh, partly because actually 50 years earlier when he was in in the 70s he had there was this kind of a similar uh, outpouring at asbury as well which he had taken part in. so he was kind of excited to see it um but and this is a guy yes in his kind of 60s i would say kind of established kind of ministry person but he was saying how excited he was to kind of see this new generation take on the baton and actually there's a real humility there in saying i'm gonna step aside and let this rising you know this bunch of no-name 21 year olds kind of take over and as you say we've seen far too many i think people in christian leadership kind of cling to power cling to the platform cling to the pulpit and actually it's really encouraging to see as you say some of the older folk around asbury be involved not step not step out but 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 hand over the their power hand over their kind of gatekeeping to to younger people who as you say i think have got have captured something quite important about what the church needs for this season which is as we said you know anonymous leaderless humble um yeah really encouraging to see how that goes uh emma what what about you any stories that that jump out from 2023 for you
2: yeah, well, I mean, let's carry on with the, the good news vein for now. We'll probably get on to some of the harder stuff um, in, a, in a little while. But yeah, for me, one, one of the um, in April, I think it was, the government published its landmark report on engagement with faith communities called Does the Government Do Good? or the Bloom Review, as it was called, which um, I was really encouraged by. There was a mixed response to it. This is a, um, an independent review of the government's engagement with faith communities as a whole, so not just Christian faith communities all faith communities in the UK but it did say that faith was good and you know much against the backdrop again of the census and all that sort of doom and gloom of the church dying it was great to see a report that said the religious landscape of the UK is alive, churches are doing things, faith communities are doing things, it is important, it is working, we are adding value to society and asking those hard questions of how does the government um, engage with them and, and do that well wasn't perfect. It took a long time to come. And as uh, Danny Webster from the Evangelical Alliance pointed out when he wrote about this for us earlier on in the year, the the rubber will hit the road when we find out what the the government is doing to improve religious literacy within the civil service and how they engage with faith and faith communities when it comes to legislation and law and all of those kinds of things. But I was encouraged. A nice report that said well done, Church. You are alive. You are doing stuff. We recognise you're there. How can we do this better altogether?
0: Hmm. Sam, did you um, have any takeaways from from the Bloom review?
1: Well, I think it's interesting that, that Colin Colin Bloom, the author, is someone who has a long track record actually of being a, a Christian in the in the political world, and um, particularly within the Conservative Party. Um, strong Christian faith, and really good to see him being asked by the government to look at this important topic as, as emma says the the role of faith in our kind of public life and how the government can better support that so yeah i do agree overall it's good news i think the the key is what happens next the, the key is sort of so what um does this actually change in the long run but certainly it's good news to see it recognize what of pretty much every christian already knows which is that the church does a huge amount of goods locally in our communities or sort of day in day out and it's always nice to have that recognition <laughs>
0: The things that interest me are about the the recommendations that, that Colin Bloom made for how kind of government could improve its engagement with faith communities. And there's some of the things you, you expect you see in all these reports about more faith literacy training for civil servants, more RE in schools. Um, but also this idea of kind of setting up a, a faith envoy and and, and expanding the remit of the existing kind of religious freedom envoy to uphold the rights of, of religious people in Britain, as well as what they currently do is focus on overseas. Do you guys think that would be helpful to have kind of a, a, a kind of government figure, an envoy, a spokesperson who is not just looking at what's going on overseas, but saying, well, actually, what is the landscape around religious freedom and the ability of churches and others to kind of practice their faith here in the UK as well?
2: I think it's quite interesting that that recommendation has come in the same year that, on the other hand, you're seeing legislation either enacted or proposed that you know, as Christians, a lot of us have been very concerned about. I'm thinking, for example, of the the cases that have sort of gone to court and, and bounced back and are still going on around um, the exclusion zones around abortion centres, which some are, you know some people are incredibly alarmed about as a huge incursion into our ability to pray in public in certain areas of the uk um so you know and you've got the the ongoing discussions around conversion therapy and how that affects people and transgenderism in schools and how how all of these things balance with our freedoms as christians or people of faith because this affects other faiths as well as just christians um And then at the same time, you've got a government-backed report concluding, uh, you know, actually genuinely we do need someone who tries to make sure that this is done well in the same way that we fight for freedom um, for Christians in persecuted countries. So, yeah, it's a... yeah for me that's the fascinating thing that they're they're both coming at the same time and is colin bloom's recommendation a response to those things perhaps i don't know but i I definitely think there is there's going to be a point at which those things really start to butt against each other i think we're already seeing that and i'll be interested to see what this next few years especially as we go into election season looks like within within government for that those kinds of issues
0: premier christian newscast Christian Newscast. Um, Shall we move on to another story? Um, I'll, I'll go one next. Um, it's kind of, in many ways, I think probably the biggest story in the church world in the UK of the last year, and that is, of course, the uh, the Mike Pellavacci and, and Soul Survivor scandal. I think that first broke around, was it March, April time um, last year, and it's kind of been rumbling on ever since. And um, and and you know it's not the Mike is not the first and he won't be the last kind of high profile christian leader to be exposed in some way as a as an abuser um but i think this one has had an an especially damaging impact because of how influential soul survivor the church and in particular the festivals have been you know i i wrote a big piece Um, years ago in 2019 when Soul Survivor closed down when they ended the festivals and just kind of picked up on some of the stories of the number of Christian leaders, of church leaders and worship leaders and people who had kind of come to faith or received their calling or kind of met with the spirit in a powerful way at a festival And so the kind of ripples out of discovering that the person, the kind of iconic figurehead of these festivals actually, um, you know, has been substantiated now by an official CV report that he was kind of spiritually coercive and controlling, had inappropriate relationships with his young male interns. It's just had this, had kind of exposed like a bomb across the evangelical landscape, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, it certainly has. Um, And as you were describing the story there, Tim, it it actually, in a a kind of weird way, reminded me of, this other story that everyone's been talking about which is the post office scandal and the reason it reminds me of that is if you you look at the media coverage of the post office it's been going on for a few years but if you ask the average person what's going on with the post office including me i wouldn't be able to tell you um but then this itv drama came out and it kind of brought everything together and it's put it back in the spotlight and i think we're going to see something similar with in terms of what we've been working on here with here at premier with Soul survivor which is if you ask the average person what's going on with mike pilavacci and Soul survivor they might say something like oh i'm not sure has the report come out yet was that ever proved i don't know and what we've been trying to do here at premier is actually bring some of this together and do our own investigation because we do think this is a really important story um and we don't we don't think actually that we have necessary as the church learn all the lessons or fully comprehended even what's happened before we can learn the lessons. Um, and so that's why myself and some of the team here at Prem be working on a, on a brand new podcast called Soul Survivors. And we're going to look actually in detail at this story. We're going to bring it all together. And it's not going to be an easy listen, but we do think it's going to be important because before the church can learn the lessons, we need to understand what's actually happened here. Um, and it is a very sad story. It's a tragic story because these are people's lives who in some cases have been really heavily damaged by some of some of what's gone on um but you know unfortunately these stories of spiritual abuse of church leaders falling from grace they aren't new and at some point we as the church have to take a step back and and look at the detail of this particular case and what actually has happened here and how can we give dignity to everyone in this story um because everyone actually here has a, has a story to tell of how they've been impacted. As you say, Tim, the, the influence of Soul Survivor is massive, especially across the Evangelical Charismatic Church, but even beyond that as well. So you're right, I think it has been one of the biggest stories of the year, and that's why we as Premier have, have invested a lot of time in this new podcast series. The first episode actually has just been released in the last few days. Uh, it's called Soul Survivors. It's available in all the usual places. Um, and please do pray for us as we, as we put this together, because it's not an easy job. It's not an easy task. It's not, not a particularly pleasant one either if we're honest but we want to do right by those involved in this story uh, and we're encouraged by the feedback we've already started to, to receive and, and we'll continue to release episodes as the weeks and the months go on.
0: Yeah looking forward to listening to that and following along with that story Um, and in fact you know speaking of predictions one prediction I can pretty confidently though depressingly make is that at some point in 2024 a Christian church leader will probably be exposed or accused of some le- some form of abuse. I think it's it's an almost certainty. And as you say, Sam, the question is really, what do we do in the face of that knowledge? How do we change as a church to become a safer place to root out people like that from leadership? Um, Emma, do you have any reflections on on the Soul Survivor Pilavachi story as we go into 2024?
2: Oh gosh, it's such a huge one, isn't it? And it's so heartbreaking on so many levels. I mean I think, yeah, two reflections really. First of all, picking off picking up on what you just said, how do we learn from it is you know, I wonder if um as Sam said, there's something we can learn from um Mr. Bates versus the post office, which is from within our own structures, it's important that our first um response is Sympathy with victims, supporting victims and not protecting our own reputation. And I don't think the church has always done that well. And secondly, um, reflecting back to Asbury, whether there is something that we can learn from within that whole conversation about platform and individual sort of people that somehow become so intrinsic to our faith stories I, I think that's the thing that um, apart from, aside from the individual abuse cases which are obviously heartbreaking the other thing that I find really heartbreaking is that idea generally that a whole generation of people who had genuine faith experiences of God may decide to discount them because of the failings of an individual human being and that breaks my heart. And, and I really hope that through talking about these kinds of things that we can encourage and support people to look beyond individual failings to a God who can work even in imperfect situations. But moving forward, I wonder if there's something that we can learn from things like Asbury, which mean that our experiences of God are less reliant on an individual human being who is, of course, less than perfect um, and whether that will create a healthier, more robust Church
0: in the long term. Hmm. One of the kind of sobering things about covering abuse stories in the church over the last kind of three, four, five years is that, um, you know, there was a time when these stories could get kind of weaponized by the different factions within church. And, you know, you might, there might have been a time when, you know, oh, look, a big charismatic leader has fallen. And lots of Christians from other tribes might say, well, this is because charismatic Christianity is incredibly destructive and, and abusive and harmful. But I think because everyone is suffering, you know, because there is no particular denomination or network or movement that can say our hands are clean, we've never had an abuser in our ranks, there's actually a kind of depressing but encouraging kind of solidarity, I think, and and I've seen some really interesting things of people working together around safeguarding across kind of denominational or, or kind of churchmanship lines. And so I'm hopeful that, yeah, people won't, as you say, chuck out everything that Soul Survivor did or everything that, you know, churches that want to act in the power of the Holy Spirit and have been doing since the kind of charismatic renewal movement kicked off in this country, you know, something that Pilavachi was actually very involved in in the 1980s, but not chuck, the, chuck out everything, but be able to say, actually, this is just another example, as you say, of how important it is that all churches of all flavours, all expressions of faith, all ways of doing ministry, kind of work harder to, to make sure that we don't end up in this situation again. Um, shall we move on to another story, Sam? Anything else stand out for you?
1: Uh, yes. Well, sadly, as you say, Tim, there were a lot of uh, abuse stories. I mean, there was um, Alan Scott. Um, there was a UCCF investigation, and that's on top of what we just spoken about with um, with Soul Survivor. Um, like, like Emma, I'm always keen to find some some positives. Um, but if I were to think of one figure. Um, who has perhaps most shaped the evangelical church in the last 10 or 20 years, it would be Tim Keller. Uh, And Tim Keller passed away last year. And he actually gave uh, one of his last interviews to us at at Premier Christianity, a really incredible interview, really only a few months before he passed away. And he he spoke about how his cancer diagnosis had radically transformed his prayer life. Uh, He said, the way you look at God, the way you look at everything changes when you realize that time is limited and you are mortal. Uh, and i do find that often when we interview people as as we often do with serious health challenges they say some of the things don't they that that actually when when something really serious happens in your personal life it changes the way you look at everything and that sort of sense of just enjoying each moment uh, valuing every day becomes heightened and I think isn't that a great lesson for for all of us to to learn in in 2024 and and really for me Tim Keller was was an inspiring individual on so many levels um, I had the opportunity to interview him once once or twice which was a real a real treat because he's someone who has just influenced my own thinking so much and I think one of the I mean, there's there's lots we could say about Tim Keller. I'll, I'll pick on a few of them. One of them is his winsomeness. And this was a word that came to sort of define his approach. Um, this idea that actually we should be kind and gentle in the way that we communicate the gospel that was actually quite radical in his evangelical culture, particularly in the U.S., especially in the kind of age of Trump and where you had evangelicals dividing and being kind of at war with the culture. Tim Keller would say, well, no, we want to win people. We want to do that in a a winsome way. And interestingly, Tim Keller's winsomeness was attacked uh, because there are many evangelicals who felt that, no, we shouldn't be winsome. We should we should be fighting the culture and the culture is godless. and And he just he just demonstrated the way I think of holding orthodox and traditional doctrines and beliefs, but doing so with great love and grace and gentleness. And, and for me, I found that quite inspiring. Uh, the other thing I'll pick up on is, is he famously ministered in New York for many years, and I always remember the story he told following 9-11 And you think, my goodness, what preacher wants to get up in New York City the Sunday after 9-11 and give a sermon? And of course, that's what Tim Keller did. And and you can still listen to it to this day. day, And I think rightly became quite a famous sermon. But I always remember what he said, which was that every single church, not just his, every single church, he says, was packed the Sunday after 9-11 with people searching for answers, uh, which I thought was fascinating. And then he said, he said, I wish that as people became more economically prosperous, and as they got better jobs and as their families grew and as good things happened, I wish that would send people towards God, that people would think, wow, I'm so blessed in my life. I want to investigate what 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 is life all about but he says sadly it's, it's actually the opposite he says when it's disasters like 9-11 that's when people start asking the big questions and of course that was reminiscent of that classic C.S. Lewis quote that suffering is a is God's megaphone to rouse a dying world and 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 Tim Keller was a bit of a modern C.S. Lewis I think in the way that he wrote with such eloquence in the way that he met the culture where it was at and in the way he presented Jesus and all of it so Um, yeah an amazing man and it was lovely I think to to sort of celebrate his legacy and mark his influence on the church last year um, as he as he sadly passed away but of course that great hope we have as Christians that death is not the end and he is now with his saviour free of all suffering
0: absolutely Emma any Tim Keller reminisces or or, or, or thoughts (laughs)
2: Oh, I, mean, I think Sam said it all really, but yeah, that that last interview we did with him, I just personally felt so incredibly inspired and challenged by it, to have someone say that that cancer had revolutionised his prayer life and his walk with God as one of the most famous Christian leaders in the world at that point in time and that he wouldn't want to go back to his life beforehand it's just astounding isn't it and I had so many conversations on personal levels with people I knew that I've read that interview were so either encouraged in their own suffering and their own health issues through that or just you know really inspired to to press into God and not wait until that crisis point to sort of put it all in perspective and I, I just think that you know yeah the 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 fact that he was publishing books even in the year that he died of cancer was, is just incredible. And like Sam said, he just he just brought such unity across the church. And uh, yeah, I sadly missed, but um, what a contribution to the church.
0: Absolutely. I was really struck by what you were saying, Sam, about, you know, the kind of internal conflict there is within his own kind of reformed evangelicalism about whether you attack the culture or whether you try and kind of warmly kind of love people in, into faith and and i've been doing some some reading researching around church planting over the last year and and the impact he has had in terms of this kind of return to the inner city for evangelical church planters starting in as you say in new york but like you know we, the context of the kind of late 20th century he came out of was this kind of fleet flight to the suburbs and you know people were building extravagantly enormous mega churches, tens of thousands of strong campuses across you know huge car parks and that was kind of seen as like the successful future of christianity was even christianity was going to be in these out-of-town suburban megachurches and he says no like god loves people and people live in cities and we need to get back into the cities where we can find the people that 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 Jesus wants to meet with, and that's just been such an incredible kind of catalyst. You know, catalyst. I think for other church leaders to kind of capture that vision. You know, and I've been part of city center kind of church plants very much in that mold. And I'm, you know, I I, I agree with his analysis. I think actually. You know, cities are coming back, and, and that kind of 20th century flight to the suburbs has been reversed. And, and, and so, yeah, it's a slightly nerdy ecclesiological point, but I think actually he is going to be seen in church history terms as incredibly influential for many reasons. But one of them is kind of spearheading this return to city centre church planting where people can, you know, engage with business and culture and the arts and music and politics, which is all at these hearts of our great kind of. Um, city centres so yeah I'm really encouraged and excited by that movement and excited that yeah he had the foresight to kind of spin that off into the city to city network which is now kind of going great guns across America and the world not necessarily needing him as a single charismatic individual leading it so yeah pray that continues across 2024. Um, Emma one more story from you
2: um, Let's let's turn our eyes out of the UK and look overseas um, I think one of the stories that really interested me this year that I, I don't actually know a lot about this is not my area of expertise one of the joys of working at Premier is getting to cover the breadth of the church across the world and not always good stories but I feel it's a very important part of the reporting that we do is trying to raise awareness of what's going on in the church around the world and especially in places where um, it is not as easy to be a Christian as it here is in the UK we take it for granted that we can gather together every Sunday safely without getting shot at or kidnapped or raped or other horrendous things that happen to lots of Christians elsewhere in the world. And one of the stories that came out in the latter part of this year was um, about Armenian Christians. And um, Armenian Christians are some of the oldest ethnic Christians in the world. They're some of the first Christian communities. Um, and they're a section of the world in Azerbaijan where there was a huge uprising in September. And um, there was a real worry that as all of the Christians fled that area, that there would be a mass desecration of some of the oldest Christian sites in the world, the oldest monasteries, the oldest Churches by the the mainly Muslim authorities that are now in charge in Azerbaijan. So I just think you know it's it's good as we go into 2024 to take a moment to remember that there are parts of the world where it's not as safe to be a Christian um, as here in the UK, and to remember those parts of the church that are struggling with persecution in a way that you know just doesn't apply to us. Even when we are talking about very serious issues that are con- that sort of impinge on our our rights to practice our faith fr- as freely as may- we may wish. We're not being driven out of areas and, and having our villages burnt to the ground. So, um, yeah, let's let's remember the, Arme- the Armenian Christians and those in Nigeria and Iraq and Afghanistan and other parts of the world where it's very, very hard to be a Christian.
0: Or even indeed the very, very small remaining Christian community in Gaza. There have been some stories in just yes. the last few months of, um, of of last year, particularly um the, the UK MP Leila Moran, who's been kind of raising awareness because she has family there of small number of Palestinian um christians uh who have been really struggling as of all gazans with the the bombing um and uh taking refuge in a church i think the story was and then there are some accusations that the israeli army has been kind of firing on 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 that church or um shooting at people who have been trying to escape so very difficult situation for them as you say for other christians around the world um and and in places like Armenia, it's easy to overlook that because our f- eyes are focused on the big stories, you know, which is might be Ukraine or might be Israel-Palestine. But as you say, there's ongoing conflicts in places like Nigeria and Ethiopia and South Sudan and many other parts. And um, so, yeah, good to keep our eyes up and, and aware of, of what's going on in the worldwide church for sure.
2: Yeah and those stories you know often don't make their way onto the mainstream media so we don't often see them and it's quite hard to find out you know what's going on in the ground often these places are very locked away they're in countries where the media is not particularly free or the Christians are so um, fearful for their lives that it's hard for them to speak to people about what's going on so it can be very difficult for Christians to find good information um, about what exactly is going on how to support how to pray so you know that's that i'm i'm really pleased that we get to do that premiere with that's that part of what we do across the the radio the the mags the the news um and there are other great christian organisations out there as well that are working really really hard in very dangerous conditions to try to raise the profile of the persecuted church so that's great
0: mm. And no doubt we will try to cover some of that on on this podcast over the coming year, as well as the other big stories you'd expect. There'd be more rowing about gay blessings in the Church of England. We've got another synod, can you believe it, coming up next month already. Will it ever end? (laughs) It never ends. It will never end, Sam. It will never end. Um, And no doubt we'll have more to talk about um, Soul Survivors as that podcast series unfolds. We'll keep a close eye on that and the developments there. Um, but thanks uh, Emma and Sam uh, and thanks everyone for listening with us in 2023 and we look forward to uh, carrying on unpacking what's going on in the church here and around the world across the next year bye-bye That's it for this week's premier Christian newscast. But before you go, please do leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. And why not tell a friend about the show too? And if you'd like even more church news analysis, you can also subscribe to my new free email newsletter, The Critical Friend. Each week, I send an email packed with links to interesting things happening in the church world and my commentary on them. Just visit tswyatt.substack.com to find out more and subscribe. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast.